Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do praise you this day. Because through your only Son, you overcame death and you opened to us the gate of everlasting life. We request now, we pray that you would be present with us. Grant that we who celebrate our Lord's resurrection may through the renewing power of your spirit arise from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 271, Sing Choirs of New Jerusalem.
Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Let us therefore rejoice by putting away all malice and evil and confessing our sin with a sincere and true heart in the confidence of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us, for we are poor and needy. Preserve us, O God, and deliver us, for we trust in you. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you we cry all the day. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. For you are great, and you have done wondrous things in our Lord Jesus Christ, overthrowing the powers of sin, death, and the devil through the death and resurrection of your Son. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, and be gracious to us, forgiving all our sins for Christ's sake. Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts by the grace of your Holy Spirit to fear your name, for we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. People of God, hear the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostolic rule of love in the church forbids gossip. Gossip is different than slander. Slander is saying something false about someone else. Gossip may be uh, true or true in part, but uh, I was just reading something recently that put it this way. Is it true? Is it kind to repeat whatever you've heard? And is it necessary? It's a nice little way to put it, is it? Um, true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Gossip, gossip is listed in Scripture with those practices that should not be found in the church, and it's listed with things like quarreling and jealousy and anger and selfishness, conceit, disorder, things that we think of as uh, much more severe than gossip, and yet gossip in the Bible is put in that, ca- in that list. Now, traditionally, gossip has been listed as a sin, breaking the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. And so gossip is listed under that um, in terms of the moral code. The Old Testament warns of those who go about informing on others, revealing secrets, and usually it's to the detriment of the other person. Gossip is revealing something about someone to another person that would otherwise not be public knowledge. We convey information about other people all the time, and it's not necessarily gossip, so there has to be some wisdom in how we think this through and some guidance from Scripture. We need to be careful and realize that sometimes we can pass on a good word about someone, and it's to their benefit, but um, we need to always judge that. However, when we begin to talk about someone else, we should check ourselves. Is this confidential information? Did they ask you not to repeat it? Or is just good common sense? It, it's something you know the person would not want repeated. How does this benefit the person of, for whom I'm, of whom I'm speaking? How does this benefit the person to whom I want to pass along the information? It's not just to 
the information about the person, but to whom you're giving it. Does it benefit them? Is it something that, that builds people up, encourages people? Or does it somehow tear everyone down? You could do that by passing something on about someone else, about how good they are and about how bad you are. That's not necessarily very helpful or kind. Jesus Christ has set you free to have a Christian character of love and mercy and respect toward others. You are to speak well of others, and gossip is not healthy speech. Walk by the Spirit and do not gossip. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 369, Shout for the Blessed Jesus Reigns. Shout for the blessed Jesus reigns, though distant lands his triumph spread, and sinners freed from endless pains own him their Savior and their head. He calls his chosen friends. important things we do in the Christian life is pray, and it starts in our worship, and so we gather now to pray for those uh, needs that we know are in this world and in the church for ourselves, and then we carry that out and continue the prayers during the week. So let us bow our heads. O living and true God, our Heavenly Father, you are not a force, you're not a power, you're not an idea or a creature, but you are the living God who is our creator. You're the one who gives us our life and who maintains that life. In you we live and move and have our being. 
And not only this, but you give us life in Jesus Christ, that new life. You've made us alive in him. And we thank you for that new life, a restored life with you, a life of pardon and righteousness, a life of your loving care and protection. And as you have raised us up in Christ by your spirit, keep us alive so that your whole church forevermore shall cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, and that we may forever sing blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. May our praise and joy continue from this day forth forevermore. Almighty God, we pray for those who govern us. And make laws for this nation. May they have wisdom of your moral order. We pray that you would continue to make that known. And may careful moral reasoning inform their work. Restrain their power and decisions according to your holy will. And we pray, O God, that sin and moral disorder, wickedness, and justice would be kept from growing and running rampant. May there be wise policies to this stop the destruction of what is good. Here are our prayers now for Joe Biden, our president, for Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, our senators, and our, our other leaders. Here are our prayers. Restrain the arm of those governments and rulers of this world that are ruthless to those under their uh, oversight such as in China or North Korea, and now Russia's attack on Ukraine. Stop the work of terrorism, root out the drug violence in Latin America and in the United States, and we pray you would put an end to human trafficking and the brutal attacks on people traveling to the border of the United States. Here are our prayers for the troubles in this world. Bless the church in this world as it lives according to Christ. Keep us all in the firm grasp of your grace and protect us from pride and idolatry. In gracious humility, may we see our own faults and trust the work of your spirit in other churches. We do pray for the administration of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, for, in, in particular now for John Shaw, Hank Belfield, who help lead the church and its committees. We also pray for Vern Picknally who is the moderator of our presbytery, and pray you would assist our presbytery as there are difficulties in many churches and uh, hard times for many pastors. Bless the ministers in the presbytery, Doug Felch, Rod Tully, Mick Kinnearum. We pray you would prosper these men and give them good health and the churches where they are to grow in the faith and love of Christ. Here are prayers for these and for others who come to mind. We lift our prayers to you for the mission of the church, the mission work, as our Lord Jesus Christ did stretch out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross in order to give himself in exchange for us and take the penalty of our sin upon himself. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may offer the gospel with true knowledge and love to those who do not know you. Bless and protect our missionaries, Ben Hop, Octavius Delphils, Mark Richline, 
in Central America and Uruguay. Bring more and more people to hear your word, and may additional men be trained and ordained to serve you, your, your church in Latin America. Hear our prayers. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you shepherd Providence Church, how you have shepherded it and continue doing so by answering our prayers, by holding us together, by teaching us the faith and life of Jesus Christ. And we pray for those with needs of all kinds, body and soul. We pray you'd give health and aid to Teddy and Luca, to Frida and Eduardo, to Terry and Jeff, Fawn, and to our friends Scott and Becky, Jamie's mother, Shelley's father, Barbara's mother, Mrs. Mesner, Kathy, Chris Barker, Angie, Karen, and others we name to you. Oh Lord, deliver each one of us from temptation. We continue to struggle with sin and pray you would give us aid and help in that struggle. Give grace and peace to those with difficulties in their homes. And now, gracious Father, hear our prayers as we make them to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The kingdom and the power, glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. seated. And uh, please join me in the prayer for illumination as we open uh, the Word of God. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you profusely that you have granted us the, uh, your word, that you have granted it to your people, and that um, for millennia and all around the world um, on your day, uh, your people open your word and look for wisdom. We pray that your spirit would be with us and with everyone, uh, with all of our brothers and sisters around the world today. Uh, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that the words that we hear from you uh, would fall on soft soil in our hearts and um, that you would truly speak to us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they will propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called uh, Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Your saving power among all nations. Let all the peoples praise you. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let all the peoples praise you. God, our God, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Finally, our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad that they had saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. So I've been preaching now for almost 30 years. That would be on a regular basis every week. And... um, in that time, you're obviously going to come back, back to certain passages. I think I've preached Ephesians three, at least three times all the way through, um, and other texts many, many times. Um, and sometimes there are things going on in the church or in the world that just continue to go on, and we need to, we need to keep hearing the, um, the preaching of some of the texts in the Bible on a regular basis. And this sermon is saying some things you've heard before, but I, I keep being reminded how much we need to hear this and understand um, what Christ has done um, with, by his death and resurrection, especially in this season, this time of his resurrection, when the church celebrates his resurrection. But I'm reminded of it when I hear people talk about how um, they're, they're, when they express a certain confidence in the things that the world is doing over and against the gospel, and their confidence in the gospel seems to be marginal or minimal, and uh, they're much more confident about what the world can do. There are some great things happening in this world. There are some great efforts being made to make things better, but they aren't going to rise to the level of what Jesus Christ has done, and we in the church, we as Christians, need to understand that and keep that in front of us. And one of those things is about just the new community that Christ has made. So we are in, this, in the midst of this Easter season. We've already heard the preaching um, of Christ's resurrection, about how it shaped. We've been hearing about Christ's resurrection, how it shapes the Christian life. We've heard that the resurrection of Jesus Christ creates the new life of God's redemption, and that life begins now. So in a way, eternal life in a way, you could say eternal life begins now and goes on to eternity. Obviously, there's, there are some major transformations that happen in there. We've, off, we've heard the, that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are able to practice the morality 
of the new life of Christ, like loving our neighbor. We heard that last week. The apostle says in Romans 6, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, living that new life um, and the moral, the morality of that new life that Christ has, has uh, gained for us and brought us into. Now, today we hear that the crucified and risen Jesus Christ brings us into a new community in this world. And it's not a new community that existed before. It's a new community created by Jesus Christ, and he's brought us into that. And that presumes something here, a new community. Why? Because the old community is fractured. A lot of words we can use for this, um, I've talked about it in the past, is alienated. But today I want to use the word fractured more. Humanity is fractured. And we see it on the international level, right, with Russia's attack on Ukraine. And we see it with the rip between North and South Korea. We see it on the social level with people from different races and different ethnic backgrounds segregating themselves from each other. Uh, we see it on the family level with much, the much-publicized divorce between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And no, I am not keeping track of that and watching it. But you, how can you avoid hearing about it? And their defamation trial, and it's, it's so sordid. And, and uh, why is this being publicized? But anyway, uh, it's out there, and it's just an example of, of this kind of fracture on the family level. And it's not as if God has not done anything about the fracturing of humanity. I think mean, this is why we just have to come back to this over and over again. It's not as if God hasn't done anything about it. But when people hear what he has done and how he's done it, they don't believe it, which, okay, if you're not a Christian, you wouldn't believe it. But when Christians think it doesn't really make a difference, then they need to keep hearing this, right? And this is why uh, it must continue to be preached. It's not, not we, we, we know that he has made a difference. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that. We need to come back again and again to what he's done. But we, if we believe in Jesus Christ, then we believe he has accomplished something, and we need to hear that. Now, prior to our epistle lesson this morning, Ephesians brings up the powers in this world. And it wasn't too long ago, maybe two, three years ago, I preached through that and uh, was really struck with how the powers are, are definitely confronted and addressed in this letter. But the powers, uh, Ephesians brings up these powers in the world in several places, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, um, several places, chapter 6. Um, there's a power in this world, and one of these powers is, is a power that fractures human community. And maybe we could say powers, plural, but it fractures human community. And humanity has been fractured for a very long time. This power has been at work in this world for a very long time. And so we hear our Old Testament text from Genesis 11 about the story of the Tower of Babel. And it's a very old story in the Bible. Um, recently, I've, I've been hearing it being used in sort of common conversation just out. I don't know where I heard it. Maybe somehow in some conversation just in general discussion in, in uh, the world. But it was being used in a positive way of kind of the multiplicity of cultures and languages and all that. And that's certainly not how the Bible is using it. The Bible is using it as a story of judgment, God's judgment. It's a very old story in the Bible, and it takes place after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. But if you follow the chapters of, of the Bible, it's chapter 11. It's not very far along after the fall of man in the Garden. The people on earth were united, and they decided to act together against God. 
they began work on a city with a tower in it that extended up toward heaven. You know what these towers were? It's, it's sort of uh, using a, a, a well-known feature back in the ancient world called a ziggurat, not a cigarette, but a ziggurat with a Z. Um, I know I slur my words, so I have to make sure you understand. Um, and it was like a staircase to heaven. Remember that Led Zeppelin song? But that's what these things were. They were stairs. And they were, they, we have examples of them today. They found, archaeologists have found the, um, these stairs. And it, it indicated a lot of different things. But in the Iraq area, there are some of these ziggurats that, that were found. And that's sort of the idea here. I don't know if it's, it's exactly the same, but same kind of an idea. They wanted to build a, a city with a tower. And don't think of a round tower going up, but think of a staircase climbing up. And they built that, extending up toward heaven. You see, they were united in their rebellion against God, and they were speaking and acting together. There was a unity in this, but it's definitely a rebellion against, against heaven. And as the story goes along, we we're told they wanted to make a name for themselves. That sounds all, you know, in our secular thinking, okay, you know, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to have some fame. But this is in defiance of God. The people formed the bricks and stuck them on top of each other with tar from some nearby pits, the bitumen. God, however, knew what they were doing, and he declared that he would confuse their language so that they could not work together, and that's exactly what he did. He confused their language so that they could not understand one another's speech, and the result was the people were dispersed across the earth. Now, it's important to get this right. God did not disperse the nations because that was his purpose in creating humanity. God did not create humanity to be fractured. God dispersed the people because of what they did. You might think of it as these are the results of rebelling against God. <clears throat> God calls it what it is. God judges it. God judged them, and they received what was the result of their building the tower up to heaven. Because of its sin and rebellion against God, humanity became fractured, alienated, hostily divided. You see, our relationship to God and our relationship to each other are intertwined. So there are a lot of things that I appreciate about the separation of church and state, but it only goes so far. And the reality is that our relationship with God and our relationship with each other are intertwined. <clears throat> they are not independent of each other. They are dependent on each other. So if our relationship with God is fractured, then our relationship with others will be fractured. The, the fracture runs through. Fractured humanity has taken many forms in history. There have been hostile divisions between husbands and wives and children and parents, between nations, between different socioeconomic levels, um, between races, between religions, between those with different skin colors. And, and that really is a good example in our country. If we want good examples, I can pull out examples from the ancient world, but that's not where we are today. Where we are today is we live in a nation where um, things have been divided up in the past and maybe somewhat to the, in the present by skin color and our ethnicity. And I bring this up because it's an intractable problem in this world. It just doesn't go away. And so obviously divided, uh, it, it obviously divides up humanity in a very terrible way. Uh, human fracturing and racism reached its most hideous expression with the mistreatment of the Jews. We need to remember that there was a certain understanding of racism and mistreatment of Jews um, that happened also in this country. And then especially the subjugation of different groups of people, African American being one of them, but also Native American and, and uh, Asian, Chinese people as well. So in the 18th century... 
people um, in the 1700s, people began to be color-coded in, in the, kind of the European Enlightenment way of thinking. Color-coded. People began to be put into categories according to their colors. It's not like that's when people suddenly realized, oh, you are a different color than I am. No. In history, that had always been recognized, but that wasn't what really divided people up. It was their culture. It was their nation. It was their, what, what their origins were. Um, but no longer was that, the, it was that as big a factor as skin color and bodily features. Um, there was even a movement in uh, sort of an early type of medicine, and I forget the name of it. I talked to Kristen Collier, who's a medical doctor, about this once, and she knew about it. But they would measure people's skulls. You remember this? I think I read about it in my psychology class. Measuring the skulls, and depending on the shape of the skull and the and various features of the skull, they'd decide how intelligent you were. And it's true. I mean, different, not the intelligence part, but the <laughs> it's true that coming from different backgrounds and all that, our, our skulls are shaped differently. So a European's going to have a slightly different shaped skull than perhaps someone from Asia or Africa or South America, wherever. But to judge that that means that one group, one shape of the skull has more intelligence than another is a very, very poor kind of uh, medical research. Um, so that, that was being done uh, suddenly starting in the 1700s, and skin color and bodily features began to be how you separated people. And at the same time, as this was happening, African-American people were marked down from being equal to whites. And a clause, we know this clause, was put into the Constitution that the enslaved black population would be counted as three-fifths of the white population. I did uh, genealogical research on the Wilson family when I was maybe in college and became interested in this and was able to trace it all the way back at that point to um, 1800 and, or 1790 and discovered that Wilson's owned uh, some land in Kentucky. And I found the census record, actually down at the Detroit Public Library. They had the census record. And I looked at it, and it lists. The things it listed, it was just a general form, and the census taker would come by and check everything, and there were like 12 children, names of the boys and girls, the father, the mother. And then there was a column for slaves and, and uh, listed there. And fortunately, in that record, there was no check mark, so my family there didn't have the slaves. I was glad to see that. Um, that doesn't mean that other ancestors might have had slaves, but, um, but that's, that was the way it was done. And they were listed separately and did not have the same value in the census as the other people listed there. So a clause was put into the Constitution that did that. That's human fracturing. That's Babel happening, the, the judgment of Babel happening you know, in more modern times. Human fracturing descends to the bottom. It really goes to the very bottom. It defines fellow human beings as less than fully human. That's when you get to the bottom. And this is what happened to African Americans in this country. It's also what happened to Jewish people in some countries. And uh, Hirsi Ali is uh, someone who uh, grew up in Somalia. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. And she has some really profound insights into things. She's not a Christian. She was a Muslim and rejected that. And because of what happened with her religious upbringing and just the, the uh, horrible things she saw, she really is turned off to all religion. But when she uh, was in Somalia as a child growing up, she was taught to hate the Jews. And this is what she writes. We were taught that the Jews betrayed our prophet Muhammad 
through Quranic verses, and she lists a few, we learn that Allah had eternally condemned them, the Jews, that they were not human but descendants of pigs and monkeys, that we should aspire to kill them wherever we found them. We were taught to pray, Dear God, please destroy the Jews, the Zionists, the state of Israel. Amen. So, awful. Now, if we think the human fracture and racism are only problems for some people in some places, then we don't understand the power of this human fracturing that's at work in this world, the power that's being talked about there in Genesis 11. It's powerful and widespread throughout the whole world. Our text from Ephesians is about how God conquers this fissure in human community. And this is what we've got to come back to. God conquers it in Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of the fracture between the Jews and the Gentiles in his day. That was the context for what he's talking about. That was the the fracture going on in his time. He represents it from a first century Jewish perspective, which makes sense. He was a Jew, but also that's the context he was in, a Jew thinking outwardly towards the Gentiles. He tells the Ephesian church to remember the state of affairs before they were in Christ. So he sort of sets that context. In verse 11 in Ephesians, he says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the, you were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. So the Jews would refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcised one. And to us, circumcision may only be marks on the skin, but for the Jews, it indicated a real divide between the Jews and everyone else. It was, it was an indicator of a true fracture, a division between the Jews and everyone else. Israel had received great privileges from God. If you want to read about Paul listing those privileges out, go to Romans chapter 9. But they received real privileges from God, and the Gentiles had real disadvantages. And this, this letter is going to the church in Ephesus. And there were Jews in Ephesus. There was a synagogue there, but there were also, of course, Ephesus. That's up in modern Turkey today. And um, there were, it was a Gentile area. So there were a lot of Gentiles in there too. And presumably, there were problems in the church that were carried, being carried in about the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul writes to them about this. But um, the, the Gentiles were there as well, and he reminds them the Jews had these privileges, the Gentiles had these real disadvantages. The Jewish people in Paul's day turned this into a reason for hostile division. God gave us special privileges. We're better than you. We, you are essentially written off, and we're the ones that matter to God. That's my way of paraphrasing it. From the Jewish perspective, God had chosen the people of Israel to be his people, not the Gentiles. He'd chosen them. The Jews had become citizens of God's holy nation, his kingdom, not the Gentiles. Israel had the covenants that God made with them, not the Gentiles. Remember the Mosaic covenant. Israel was given the promise of salvation and redemption, not the Gentiles. God gave that promise to them. Who had it in their, in their scripture that that God, the promise to Abraham, well, the Jews had that. No, everyone else didn't have that. God chose to dwell in the temple in Jerusalem, not in the temple, temples of the Gentiles. And by the time of the first century, the Jewish people had underappreciated God's promise of blessing for the whole world. They underappreciated it, which is a, a really nice way of saying it. God declared this promise to Abraham when he called him and he sent him into the land of Canaan which is the story soon after our lesson in Genesis. To put it succinctly, he said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
And this was confirmed by the prophets. In Isaiah, God told Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And at the end of Isaiah, the Lord says, the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Israel did not fully appreciate these promises. Or maybe we should say that Israel succumbed to the power of fracturing humanity in this world. We tend to keep things at the intellectual level, and we think it's a bunch of ideas and reason, and so they didn't understand, they didn't get it. Well, maybe it's worse than that, and that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians. There's a power at work, and the, Jew, the Israel succumbed to that fracturing of humanity with their way of understanding the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. So as a result, the Jewish people had enormous contempt for Gentiles. They detested the heathen as dogs. To be fair, the Gentiles detested the Jews too. Remember, everything's fractured. And the Gentiles could call the Jews dogs. Even today, you have some parts in this world where Jews are called dogs. But in the day, back then, in Paul's day, the, uh, the uh, Gentiles, the non-Jewish people were, were called dogs. They were deep, there was this deeply, deep-seated hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is how one commentator I read sums it up. I thought... This just sticks in my mind. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves one only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother when she was delivering a child, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that, Gentile, of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. So if you were going to marry, if a Jewish person was going to marry a Gentile, then they would have a funeral for that person. And such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Now, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ conquers the powers of human fragmentation and rupture in this world. The immeasurable greatness of God's power for those who have faith in Christ is that Jesus defeats the powers that rip us apart. And Paul goes on to tell us how Jesus Christ has done this. This is what I want us to hear over and over again. I can't think, I don't, I don't see in the distant, in the near future that we need to stop hearing this. That's really a weird thing to say. We always need to hear it. But in terms of our culture, I don't see it changing. I see things um, really disrupted right now, and the church is, is picking that up and somehow incorporating some of it. So we need to keep hearing this, and Paul tells us how Jesus has done it. Uh, we need to hear it again today. First, Jesus conquers the powers that fracture humanity. In verse 13 of Ephesians he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you once, were, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus conquers the powers that fracture humanity. The blood of Christ refers to his death. Jesus' crucifixion was a monumental act of enmity against God because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to reconcile the world. But what did the world do? The world rose up against the Son of God and killed him. Um, or as Peter said to the crowd at Pentecost, you killed the author of life. Jesus was slain on the cross. That reflects that fracture between God and humanity. 
But there's an irony here about Jesus' death. Paul refers to it in verse 16. Jesus killed the hostility. This hostility is the rupture between Jews and Gentiles. By his death, Jesus slayed the power that rips humanity apart. So here's the irony. These are the ironies that I love. I bring them up from time to time. They come out in Scripture. Jesus, who was slain, is the slayer. And there are many ways the Bible shows the irony of Jesus' death, and many preachers and theologians in the church have picked up on them. But these ironies are very important. They kind of force us to to think a little bit more deeply or, or a different way about Christ's death. Another one is the sacrificial victim is the priest, or the lamb is the lion in Revelation. The lamb is the lion. In our text, Jesus is slain and he's the slayer. These ironies bring out the uniqueness of Jesus' death and what is accomplished by it. And when we try to cast the death of Jesus into our forms and put it into our sort of prescripted language, um, then we, we might uh, make it a little less significant or maybe even powerless. But the scripture here makes it very powerful. The one who is slain is the slayer. By our standards, nothing seems to have happened because of Jesus' death. But what the scripture is saying is something certainly has happened. Something's been killed. Trusting in ourselves, what God has done in Jesus Christ doesn't look like it did anything. See, there's a fundamental problem there. If we don't think Christ did anything, then maybe we're thinking too much about ourselves and what we could do. The ironies in the Bible open our eyes to Jesus' death. It's not like any other death in this world. Who else, when put to death, slays the powers that kill him? And he really did die, and yet in that he slays the powers. What other death brings two together and makes one? What other death creates a new humanity? So by his death, Jesus slays the hostile powers that divide us in this world. That's the first point here in our text in Ephesians. Second, Jesus conquers the fragmentation of humanity by reconciling divided humanity into one new man. One new man. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, there are a couple of ways of interpreting what Paul says about Jesus and the law here. Jesus abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. One is that Jesus, during his life here on earth, perfectly obeyed the law and fulfilled it. So by fulfilling it, he puts an end to it, at least as a way of gaining righteousness. He abolishes it as a means of righteousness. Devout Jews had tried to follow the law to be righteous. They did not succeed, but at least they had the Mosaic Covenant and they could try to live by it. They knew what the terms were. They knew how to relate to God. Israel had the promise of God's blessing if they obeyed the law. That goes all the way back into Deuteronomy. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were deprived of God's covenant with Israel. Thus, even though they had some sense of God's moral order for creation, they didn't have the Mosaic Covenant. Because Jesus fulfilled the law, then righteousness comes through him, which means it gets opened up to the Gentiles. They don't have to have that covenant to be able to be righteous, because now it comes through Jesus Christ. The blessing of God's righteousness comes through Christ, not through the law. So all people can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Another way to interpret Jesus abolishing the commandments and ordinances is that he removes the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. This law, the commandments and ordinances, is a barrier. 
From a first century Jewish perspective, there were the Jews and there was everyone else. And the law of Moses marked the Jews off from everyone else. Circumcision did, but why did they circumcise? Well, the law of Moses said to do it. So the law of Moses marked the Jews off from everyone else. Whether that phrase commandments and ordinances means the whole law or the ceremonial part of it, regulating worship in the temple and how the Jews were to live, and that's debated. Either way, Jesus broke down that boundary between the Jews and the Gentiles. What had divided Jews from Gentiles was broken down because Christ fulfilled the law. So whichever way we understand Jesus abolishing the commandments and ordinances, he brings Jews and Gentiles together. And that's Paul's big point here. He brings the Jews and Gentiles together. Jesus reconciles us. He is the unity point for humanity. People have tried many ways to bring fragmented, divided humanity together. In the aftermath of two world wars, I think it was around 1945, the United Nations was organized as the United Nations to bring nations together so that they could work on harmony, peace, and being united. I looked up uh, the charter and was looking at that first uh, paragraph there. Today, there's a move away. It's interesting how things change in society. Uh, There's a move away from being joined together. So at one point, after the world wars, the nations internationally, there's a desire to want to pull together. And now there's this wanting to pull apart. People want to have their own separate identities. And I'm not talking really just on the individual level, but on a more social, national level. So think of the people of Catalonia, which is a province of Spain, and how they want to break away from Spain. Or Putin's vision of consolidating the Rus people from Ukraine and Belarus and pulling away from the world community. In our country, after an election doesn't turn out the way some people wish, they threaten to leave the United States and move to another nation. Have you done this? Don't, don't answer. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm tired of this country. I'm going, and I always think, where are you going to go? <laughs> um, but they threaten to do that. There are sections of some states that grumble, my wife's from one of these, that grumble about who controls the state politics, and they bat around the idea of seceding and forming their own state. And actually, Michigan does that, the UP. Every once in a while, you hear about, you know, we're tired of the politics in Lansing, and then they want to break off and form a new one. Well, Nebraska does the same thing in the Panhandle, where their two people live. Two people live in the Panhandle, and they want to break off and form their own state. So our best efforts have not overcome the fragmentation and rupture of humanity. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, does bring races and tribes and families and ethnic groups of people in this world together into one new humanity. And Paul calls it the new man. Don't think of that as just an individual person, but think of that as a new humanity, a new community, human community. So the old fractured, divided humanity is brought together in Christ, the the old fractured uh, divisions. And that's the key. It's in Christ. That's absolutely the key. Nowhere else but in him. Paul says, Jesus Christ himself is our peace, verse 14. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace in himself. Alienated humanity is reconciled in Christ, in him, nowhere else. In Christ, there is a new humanity, and we see that with the church. Now, you you automatically think, I am one step ahead of you. I think of the same things you do. Well, the church is so divided. We have all these denominations. We have all these splinters going on. Well, the church is full of sinners who are being healed of their sin, and so there are still the effects 
of fractured uh, humanity that, that must be confronted and rejected in the church. That doesn't mean that every, um, the fact that you have different churches and even maybe different denominations is necessarily a bad thing. Think about the early church. All the different letters went to all these different churches, and they would meet together for certain meetings and councils in Jerusalem, but they all went back and they remained where they were and they were regionally different, and that's not a problem as far as the New Testament's concerned. But there can be and there have been many, many uh, unfortunate reasons for the division in churches. So the church is full of these sinners who are being healed, and, and we bring some of this fractured humanity into the church, but the church also bears witness to the new humanity reconciled in Christ. We can, we can focus on the things that are not, not complete yet in the church and the things that we've done wrong, but we, can, we should also pay attention to the things that are, are wonderful here. There's a new creation going on. Although local churches will have different forms of language and music and dress, the members of the church are reconciled in Jesus Christ and made into a new people. And who are these people? Who are these people? Well, let's be specific. Let's be detailed about it. They're people from all different kinds of backgrounds and ethnicity and skin colors and all this kind of stuff, even different political positions. Um, the church is not American or Mexican or Filipino, Korean, German, black, or white. It's very unfortunate to refer to the church that way. It's one in Jesus Christ, even if there are different denominations and different local churches that are spread out. One in Christ. And in Christ, we're all united. We all have the same Heavenly Father. If you continue on in Ephesians 4, you get that one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one Father of us all. We, we worship the same Heavenly Father uh, equally in, in love, but only in Christ. Only in Christ is that unity there. Third, Jesus unites us by reconciling us to God. So he reconciles us to each other. He conquers the power that fractures us, and he unites us and uh, reconciles us to God. Verse 16 says that he might reconcile us both, you know, the Jews, the Gentiles, both to God in one body through the cross. So the story of the Tower of Babel tells how humanity was alienated, fractured from each other when it rebelled against God. And ultimately, it's because we are at enmity with God, that we're at enmity with each other. That's why human relationships continue to fracture today in spite of all the education and legislation, diversity training, and cross-cultural projects. Our best efforts cannot put an end to it. And the segregation that we opposed so strongly in the 1960s and 70s is actually flipping around today. And, and there are different racial groups that want to be segregated you know, on their own terms, but they want to be uh, set apart. So our best efforts can't put an end to it. Jesus Christ reconciles us to God. Our text says he is our peace, and not just with each other, but with God. By his death on the cross, Jesus pays the debt for our sin and the debt for our disobedience to God. So God's justice is satisfied, and we have a new relationship with him. Christ reconciles us all the same way to God, and that's by his death and his resurrection. There's, there's one reconciliation to God for all of us, and that's by Jesus' death on the cross. And, and this is a huge and, because Jesus was raised from the dead, he is drawing people together today who once were divided. This text does not specifically mention his resurrection. 
But isn't that just right there, lying behind the whole thing? It's all pointless if Jesus died on the cross. There's not going to be this new humanity and this drawing together of different people unless he's raised from the dead. So it's it's there. It's, It's just not specifically mentioned. The risen Jesus Christ brings us together in God's one family and makes us God's beloved children. He gives us equal citizenship in his one kingdom. You notice what I'm doing? I'm referring back to those metaphors that he uses in Ephesians 2. He gives us equal citizenship in his one kingdom. He builds us into his one temple filled with the Spirit. And these are the metaphors that Paul uses to teach the church what Christ has done. They're very concrete metaphors um, in how he's conquered our human fractures and division with this one household, one family, one temple, one kingdom. You were brought together to God by the living Christ. And again, it's only in Christ. There's no reconciliation with God apart from Christ. When we are reconciled to God, then we can be reconciled to each other forever. So that's what this all hinges on, Christ reconciling us to God. There's a very beautiful picture of this in the book of Revelation, which would be the other text. If I added another text in here, um, it would be this one, a great multitude in, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, but also in chapter 4. A great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages is gathered together. It's been pointed out that this is the reversal of Babel. It's the reversal of Babel. They're gathered before the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And this multitude of people are shouting out with one voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. That's a very interesting thing. It's another one of those ironies. People from all these different tribes, languages, you get them all in a room, are they going to all be clearly saying the same thing? No. And yet that's what's happening here. It's the same thing on Pentecost. Christ gives his spirit. The spirit's poured out. And these people from all the, the proselytes from all the different nations are gathered there. And it lists the nations. And they hear in their own language the same thing from the, from the disciples who are filled with the Spirit. So that's happening here as well. Um, The the different nations, languages, tribes, uh, races say the same thing with one voice. And we have a very small part of that. We we have that in our worship. We do. We, We might take it for granted, but we do. We hear the assurance of pardon in Christ, and what do we say together with one voice? We say, praise be to God. Or we sing the hymns, and we sing them together with one voice. And yes, we all know English, except Eduardo, but <laughs> we all know English, and we, we sing together, and, um, and some of us have had to learn that language, and, um, and yet we're being drawn together with that one voice. The crucified and risen Jesus conquers our fractured and hostile division. He does this by slaying his power on the cross, he does this by reconciling us to each other in him, and he does this by reconciling us to God. We Christians are to be witnesses to this by not perpetuating the hostile divisions between races, nations, and between men and women. We're to be witnesses to this. We're to hear it, and then we're to go out and and bear witness to it by how we interact with people and by seeking to draw people together in peace. And there are a lot of ways that needs to be done. Jesus Christ has risen. He's made us... uh, And he's made us who are joined to him, he's made us ambassadors who are to bring people together, not drive them apart. If we're driving people apart, then there's something wrong. We need to be working to help draw people together. Today, God's word calls you to believe in the resurrected Jesus and follow his way of peace. 
not to look to some other way to overcome fractured humanity. There are other ways in this world to help improve things, but to overcome fractured humanity, we need to be following Jesus in his way. And this is the other side of it. We're not to give up. Don't we always want to give up? Because it seems like an impossible task. But that's a lack of faith. We must trust that Jesus has done this, that he's working it out in this world, and we are to play our part. It might be a very small part, but we're to play our part. So go forth trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who by his death on the cross established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us together, with one voice, confess our faith, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made for us and for our salvation from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn, as we come to the Lord's table, is number 359, Blessed Be the Tide, Tide That Binds.
Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, delivered by the Apostle that sets this meal apart. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, this Holy Supper that we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance of the Lord's atoning death for our sins, and we rejoice in his grace and forgiveness that he provides. We come to have communion with the same Christ who, as our risen and ascended Lord, nurtures and strengthens us in this supper, uniting us to himself and to one another as co-members of his one body, the church. And we come in hope, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes and receiving this bread and this cup as a pledge and foretaste of the heavenly banquet in his eternal kingdom. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all in one body, let us receive this supper in faith and love, mindful not only of Christ's sacrifice, but also of the communion of saints, of our being joined together in him, or in our mutual obligations to one another as co-members of his one body, Christ's body, the church. Join with me in giving thanks to God for the salvation of life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give you thanks and praise. It is indeed good and right always and everywhere to give you thanks, Almighty and Eternal God, our Father. For you alone have created us, and you have given us all manner of good things in this life. But especially you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for us. In the death of the resurrection, we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ and praise you, the host of heaven, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. And now we remember, we remember not just as mental recollection, but in participation, communion, as Paul says, with Christ who died and was raised for us. We remember that he who dwelt with you became a man and joined us in the flesh. We remember that he was obedient even as he was delivered up to die. And we remember that you have glorified him. He was despised and rejected by man, but you raised him up. So we glorify him and exalt him who is the author of life and the victor of our salvation. We confess and come to this meal with that faith of the church that praises you, saying, Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. We thank you that Jesus lives and comes to be present with us. Come now, O Holy Spirit, and make this meal holy, so that our eating of this bread and our drinking of this cup may be for us a communion in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And may we be nourished and fed by Christ. Give us faith in him. In this way, may the new life of the risen Lord be our life, both now and forever. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ and the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Heavenly Father, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. 
He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
said, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Merciful Father, you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Good Shepherd, and in his love for us to lay down his life and rise again. Keep us always under his protection, and give us grace to follow in his steps. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 347, The Church's One Foundation. <laughs>
you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated, and good morning to you all. It is wonderful to worship by your side. Um, as far as announcements, and I don't know of a ton, but uh, we will certainly open the floor. Um, I would, uh, first of all, remind you we'll be enjoying a fellowship meal uh, after the service today. Probably you've had reminders, uh, increasing reminders for the last hour or so, uh, as the uh, the good scent uh, wafted in from, from the uh, from the back. Um, Presbytery was this week, yesterday. yesterday. Uh, anything to report from? Yeah, it was a long meeting. Um, Mr. Roberts was our session commissioner delegate. Um, by the way, that scent you smell is Presbyterian incense. That's, uh, <laughs> anyway, that's... Um, yeah, there's a lot going on in our Presbytery, and we spent, what did you say, Michael, five hours? Five hours on my shoot. It's like everybody's brain went blank. We forgot how to be Presbyterians and what... Our polity is, and so we just sat there spinning around and going off a thousand directions for five hours. It ended up kind of where we started. So, um, I'm on this church visitation committee. We go around, we do regular checks with churches to see what they're doing, how things are going. We look at their um, worship and you know just the sort of general life of those churches. But we've also come into a lot of cases where there are conflicts going on. Particularly between sessions or elders and the minister, uh, and a lot of churches, and so I, I sometimes get really uh, it overwhelms me sometimes. And I just feel like I want to resign. I need a break from this, but I somehow keep staying on there. Um, there, it's a great committee, a lot of great guys on it. So I'd like to ask you to be praying, and I'm not going to name the churches, but to be praying a lot for the relationship between the ministers and elders in these churches. Um, you know, there, there can be a lot of theological depth and a lot of immaturity at the same time. And I think, I think that's showing itself in, in some of these cases. Um, and, some, and a culture. There's a culture in the OPC, a way of dealing with things that maybe isn't always the best culture or it, it locks you in and there's no creativity thinking about other ways of dealing with problems. So... Um, anyway, be praying for all of this, and there's going to be a complaint heard May 19th, I think they said, which I'm going to go, special press tree meeting, but two churches that filed complaints against each other, so that's, that's some of the sad things going on. But in filing the complaints, the good news is they're trying to move a process towards a couple people in their churches who need to work some things out. Uh, so... It's the nitty-gritty, and, and we need our prayers for what's going on. Awesome. Thank you. 
Uh, also, reminding you that, uh, what, two, two weeks from yesterday, um, young Miss Wilson will be getting married, so uh, be in prayer, too, for obviously the, uh, the happy couple, but just a lot of travel and, you know, a lot of uh, accommodations and travel. And, um, yeah, and there's going to be a reception here. How do you notice that? Can you say what the speaker is? Yeah, tell us. When is it? June 11th. So, June 11th. Save the date. Uh, Formal brunch, Oakland Hills Community Church, for for, for yes, for Rebecca and Dan. What will the what will her new name be? Uh, Swanson. Swanson for uh, Rebecca Nee Wilson Swanson. Uh, so June June eleventh, save the date, um, and very good. Uh, just a couple uh, kind of pointing out things, uh, ongoing things that we do. Just reminding you um, to please be supporting. Uh, we we collect food for the diaconal pantry, and uh, so if you are so inclined while out shopping, um, you know, obviously it's our, our, all of our food budgets are being challenged, but even, you know, obviously that applies, though, to uh, people whose budgets are already very challenged, um, as well as collecting su- um, uh, supplies for the Arab American Friendship Center. And uh, that's all I wanted to point out. Does anybody else have anything from the floor? Fantastic. Let's go enjoy a meal together.